Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. We couldn't have planned this better. You guys look like... What do they look like, Jimmy? Dorks. (laughs) <laughs> they look like a couple of dorks. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. You're clothes, motherfucker. Look, ladies. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? <laughs> Definitely not a bitch. Um, he's he's sure. black. He's, he's bald. <laughs> and why'd you try to fuck him like a bitch? <laughs> um, I love that question. And when I was re-watching Pulp Fiction just today... I thought to myself, do you think he was nervous when he gave the first descriptor as he's black? <laughs> like, do you think he would just try to work around that? You know, he's kind of bald and uh, big. And uh, <laughs> as I was rewatching it, one of the so today we're going to do our long promised Pulp Fiction versus Big the Big Lebowski analysis. But when I was watching that scene, I noticed that Pulp Fiction just leaves a lot of like open-ended questions. And I want to know, how did those guys, who look kind of like my Jewish friends from college, like <laughs> how, do those, how did those guys get in a position where they would have Marcellus Wallace's briefcase? And, you know, like what's the backstory yeah. there? We, right, right, we have right. no idea, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I love, I mean, we when we talk about the substance. I do love that aspect of it because it does this thing like it creates an entire world, like leaving those questions open. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you fill in an entire world. It's like the, the only analogy that I can think of is, is, you know, when you were a kid and video games sucked, they were only side scrolling and like the world was very constrained. And then these video games came out where you could go wherever you want. And in my, in my mind, Pulp Fiction is this world that I could explore. Like you yeah. could just go talk to those guys, figure out what, you know. <laughs> yeah, like the, yeah. The, the party that the wolf is at at eight <laughs> yeah. in the morning. Yeah, like in the morning. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is that? Like what's going on there? It's in like some I, house I, or a hotel room or something. I've like, thought about that so often. I'm like, <laughs> were they partying all night? Yeah. Like they're in tuxedos, you know, they're like having like, or, or is this some weird kind of early morning party? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so today we're going to talk about these two movies, line them up against each other. Anyway, you had a question like that you wanted to introduce. So this, there is a deleted scene in Pulp Fiction where uh, 
Mia Wallace, uh, Marcellus Wallace's wife, played by Uma Thurman, comes down from um, her little control room to meet with Vincent Vega, um, John Travolta's character. They're meeting for the first time, and she comes down holding a camcorder and asks him a bunch of questions. Um, the movie that that scene never made it into the final movie, but it's alluded to when she refers to him as an Elvis man. And so she basically proposes a little theory. She says, um, the way I see it is the world can be divided by uh, what your answer is to it. I think she says these important questions. <laughs> yeah. And the the primary question that that she um, has in mind is, are you a Beatles man or an Elvis man? Yeah. Um, and she doesn't even ask him that because she gives him a once over and says, like, I, I won't ask you that one because obviously you're an Elvis man. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's true. <laughs> right. There's no way he's a Beatles man. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> and and uh, she asks a few other, she asks, uh, are you a Brady Bunch or Partridge family? Oh, yeah. Um, so that I, I thought this is actually a nice way to frame this, because one of the things that we wanted to get make clear at the beginning is that we both love both movies. Yeah. Right. Um, and in fact, Mia Wallace says this. She says, you know, Beatles fan, Beatle, a Beatles person can love Elvis and an Elvis person can love the Beatles, but you got to pick which one. And that's how uh, I kind of feel that way about Pulp Fiction and The Big Lebowski. Like we both love both of them. And we're probably going to talk as if, you know, like th these will be loving things we say about both movies. But at the end of the day, are you, Tamler, are you a Pulp Fiction man or a, or a Big Lebowski man? I'm definitely a Big Lebowski man. I mean, I, this rewatch has solidified that in my mind i knew it already but i am definitely a big lebowski man again not saying i don't love pulp fiction yeah. i but it's but i'm a big lebowski man yes and i am definitely a pulp fiction man like if, if i'm a man at all it is it, what makes a man <laughs> what is it what makes a man <laughs> sometimes oh, <no>. there's a man <laughs> uh, um if if you haven't like for some odd reason if you haven't seen these movies maybe you should watch them before you listen. Yeah, we're not going to go into the plot. We're just going to assume that you've seen both of these movies. I'd say that the plot is somewhat secondary. The kind of narrative plot of them is That's somewhat right. secondary to appreciating them anyway, but we'll assume that if you listen to this podcast you've seen both movies. Can we let, let before we go into what makes one of them better or different than the other i i noticed in this rewatch i don't i don't remember ever watching them this close together before some commonalities some things that tie the movies together um, yeah so tell me what you notice yeah obviously both movies take place in the 90s and take place in the present in the 90s actually probably around the same time um big the lebowski takes place around 1992 we're not given any reason to think that Pulp Fiction doesn't take place in the present, um, as far right. as I can tell, right? So if the movie came out in 1994, also probably early 90s. But they're both completely obsessed with bygone eras, with the past, <laughs> yeah. and right. the sort of archetypes of the past, the genres of the past, and the movies of those eras. Right. Uh, and by the way, they're both in Los, Los Angeles, for what it's worth. Right, um, and they're both really is, good. They're great L.A. movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'd say the the dude is kind of living in the past, but you know he's referred to as a man of his time. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think you could argue that he is a man of his time, that kind of aimless early 90s, kind of grungy, you don't, you know, like Ethan Hawke in Reality Bites, but not, obviously he's not like that insufferable character. Generation slackers. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. He has a kind of a hippie past, but he doesn't, he's not obsessed with it, and it doesn't, it it doesn't make him... unable to live in the current moment like it does Walter or like it does uh, even Maude, right? She is, um, even though she's the, you know, contemporary artist, feminist, she, she talks like, and I, and I guess this was on purpose. I I heard, I read something where she talks like Catherine Hepburn in like movies (laughs) in the thirties and forties. That's how she, so it's kind of an affectation. And again, an affectation going back to an earlier era right you know both of them as you say that i thought both of them also have a location in the movie that is pretty much you know an ode to the past and in labaski the, that bowling alley that is part of that sort of what people in the 50s yeah. thought the future would look like that aesthetic um that that architecture that actually you know was a, a place in la it got taken down but it's it's very much you know, that Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. um, you know, Starburst kind of uh, that mid-century that I, I love. Um, that aesthetic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. The, the, the ar- style of architecture called Googie architecture that, that there are various examples around Los Angeles of, of that style. And then in Pulp Fiction, you know, the, the uh, Jackrabbit Slims, which is, you know, very, a very different fifties aesthetic, but it is, he describes it as a wax museum with a pulse. Yeah, it is. And it, and it was it doesn't exist. It was built for no, the movie. It's right. I also found that both of these movies I, and I think the Coen brothers are 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 brilliant at this. Usually Tarantino, I, I don't know uh, if he does it t- that often, but but they take things that are uh, t- normally banal um, features of everyday life and they center plots around it. So I think this is consistent with what you said, that the narrative plot is not as important, right? They, they, they both center around things that don't really matter that much. I mean, yeah. in some sense, their life and death matters, but, but in other sense, they, they're people who are, who are, you know, making a big deal out of something like the, the gold watch, you know, right. or the rug. Which, or the rug, which really That's ties right. the room together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and you know the the main characters and the central driving the central driving purpose of the of the Butch narrative is all about the watch. That's yeah. why he goes back to the house, yeah. shoots John Travolta, get, has the whole thing with Marcellus Wallace and and Zed. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the rug is what gets him involved in this whole convoluted plot. And he keeps right. chasing the rug. It's all he really wants is his, his rug back. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, both of them, I think, are living... They're, they're both living in a time where this, there is a war going on, or, although it's not referenced to at all. It's referenced to in, the, in Lebowski, the, the first right. Iraq war. But it's like definitely disconnected entirely from like ordinary people and what they're doing, what they're thinking about. There's no sense of national purpose. And really what they are, and this is 
true of both movies is kind of living in the shadow of the Vietnam War, but it's you know it's like twenty years later, twenty yeah. more than twenty years later, and it's it, but a, but a constant reference. I mean, obviously with Walter and Lebowski, but also with Butch and his watch with the whole Christopher Walken scene. And they both right. kind of use similar kinds of jokes about it. You know, the, the ways it's described, the Hanoi pit of hell, or the, you know, the, <laughs> and all the things that Walter says. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and it just seems kind of melodramatic and out of place. So, you know, so it's not like those 70s movies that, that really tried to wrestle seriously with the, what Vietnam right. meant it's almost at this point like a joke in both movies. Right. And and Walter is a man out of his time. And and, and Butch is a throwback too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I feel the need to say that like we can't possibly do justice to both of these movies. We, you know, we've both watched these movies many times. I've, I think in, in a sort of mirror image, I've seen... I can't even estimate how many times I've seen Pulp Fiction. It's in the high 20s or low 30s, probably. And I've probably seen Lebowski somewhere between five and 10 times. I, I'm not quite sure. Um, and you are the, the reverse, right? Yeah, I mean, I've probably seen Pulp Fiction more times than you've seen Lebowski. Um, mm-hmm. And which is, I think, one of the reasons maybe I don't appreciate it as much as I could. Like, I feel like I've seen it more times than yeah it is whereas lebowski i can keep watching compulsively and i do <laughs> right um, right the, yeah um just a couple more quick little commonalities two of just iconic credit scenes from the 90s like just amazing credits sequences involving yeah. music and uh, especially in uh, pulp fiction and 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 also in Lebowski, but just that bowling alley and what you said. Oh yeah, that's it's gorgeous. Um, the I was reading the Tarantino in using that opening uh, song, that iconic Pulp Fiction, now associated so much with Pulp Fiction, which yeah. is the D- Dale and something. He knew that he was just setting a bar. Yeah. He's like, you know, the the movie had to live up to the the right. awesomeness of that song. <laughs> it was like a commitment device. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but both of them have this, this ode, I, you know, part of the reason maybe these movies are so enjoyable to me is both directors, or all three directors, I should say, have clearly a love of cinema and they, they're, they're just clearly giving homage to, to, to just movies. But one of them is the use of this, the MacGuffin, the meaningless, the meaningless object that directs the plot around. And in this case, both of them are briefcases. Well, at least in the Lebowski, it's, I don't know if it's the central MacGuffin, but it certainly feels like the central one. You could argue it's the rug also, but. You could, uh, yeah. But yeah. Although the rug has meaning in a way, a MacGuffin. So MacGuffin, I'll put a link to the description, but it's just essentially like you know, like the Maltese Falcon, it's just an object that everybody wants. It doesn't really matter why they want it. Mm -hmm. Right. And in Pulp Fiction, it's very salient that it does. We never even find out what it is. Um, It doesn't really matter. What matters is that people want it or it's driving some plot. And it's also an allusion to a MacGuffin in um, what uh, Kiss Me Deadly, the Robert Aldrich movie, where there it's like the briefcase is is a bomb that can yeah. destroy the world but in this case you just never know 
Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and it is funny to see how even I watching Pulp Fiction as a whatever I was in, in college, all I wanted to know was what was in that fucking briefcase. <laughs> it was very a very concrete time in my life. <laughs> I think I didn't quite appreciate that it didn't matter. That's never been something that I've wanted to think too much about, like what's in the yeah. briefcase. I know that some people have all sorts of theories and yeah. arguments, and that just doesn't seem like interesting to me or the point of the briefcase as much right. but i don't know yeah yeah the the my favorite of the theories was that it was marcellus wallace's soul yeah um, which i don't get which is really. just dumb it just yeah, doesn't matter just it really doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> i mean do you know make it what you want that's that's great <laughs> all that said i think there are deep differences between these two movies and i think that the the themes, at least I will try to to make a case for why the themes are almost opposite. In this podcast, I will argue that. Yeah. <laughs> in the following. <laughs> in what follows. <laughs> you want to talk about that now or? Uh, you know, there was one thing that I you know, was going to mention, which is that these movies had a, a really different impact. Um Lebowski was a slow, a slow grow, yeah. a slow grower. And it became achieved cult status um, from people being obsessively rewatching it because for whatever reason, it becomes it's such a fun movie to rewatch. Pulp Fiction, on the other hand, was just like everybody watched it. Right. Yeah. And 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 you could it's palpable the influence that it had just as a piece of art on Almost annoyingly on movies in the nineties. I mean, definitely not even almost really annoyingly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know the the conceit of of splitting up the time um, into different vignettes and putting them out of order like a puzzle. The just the style of dialogue, the, the everyday mobsters. The yeah, it suffered. Yeah, mobsters talking about trivial shit. Like yeah. it has suffered from bad imitations. But yeah, no, it was a huge event to go see that movie. Uh, I think if you knew anything about films, you were pretty excited for it because Reservoir Dogs was was awesome. And here was now it's Travolta who hasn't been in it. Like <laughs> right. Travolta's coming back and Uma Thurman. And but then oh, even great. Bruce Willis's career was kind of dead. Yeah, he's really good in it. I don't love his narrative as we can talk about yeah, as much yeah, right. but i really like him that was one of the things i appreciated is his performance yeah. in in this yeah. uh, uh rewatch uh, you know i should say i didn't know anything about i was certainly not around people who appreciated the, nobody i knew called movies film well like, sorry I, I felt bad about I, that even just saying no no no, no you I, saw I, reservoir dog weren't i know i had never seen reservoir dogs like i just didn't know that's not it's not knocking you for knowing. I wish I had had people who taught me what movies were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I just didn't, in part because of the weird religion that I was raised in. Um, but but this maybe because of Pulp Fiction, I started paying attention to movies. Yeah, you know, I think it really gave me a love for. It. I was just I've been obsessed with this movie for a long a long time. There was a ton of hype, and then you go into the movie, and it's packed. This is a good time for movies. It's their 90s. There's a lot of uh, interesting stuff, and it lives up to the hype. It maybe exceeds the hype. Like, everybody yeah. is so into it. Like, the whole 
uh, theater is just l- laughing and shocked and all the things. Like, it is a good movie to see for the first time. It just takes all these twists and turns that when you've seen yeah. it, especially a number of times, like, they don't surprise you at all anymore. But, yeah. you know, just the fact that Butch comes and sees Marcellus and then all of a sudden they're fighting and then all of a sudden they're in this, like, deliverance uh <laughs> like weapons shop yeah and in a basement yeah. and there's a gimp and like it's like all this sh- stuff just comes out of fucking nowhere and you right. do, it's not a kind of experience that you we'd had in a movie and certainly not done well right yeah absolutely it was like a it, it was splashing cold water on your face like a you know whatever the right metaphor is like you're just wait what <laughs> like what there, there's a little bit of that in Lebowski where they, all of a sudden they're into the most absurd situation, right? Yeah. Like, wait, un, there's underwear in the briefcase or like you, you're going to visit some kid with his dad is in the iron lung. Like, it's just like a, an embracing of absurdity. Right. Um, but there's yeah. something about it where the flow of it is you just don't, it, you don't even raise an eyebrow. Like You're really right about how the absurdity flows in the big Lebowski in a way that it doesn't flow in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Pulp Fiction is all about jarring you. Like it's to the extent that they have to like, even Tarantino has to divide the movie explicitly and say, here is part two of this movie. Yeah. Like exactly. But you know, and, and Lebowski in it sort of consistent with the, the central character. Yeah. Everything just flows. Everything just flows one into the other. Yeah. Like the modern dance the quintet, the, the <laughs> modern dance quintet. Uh, oh, his landlord doing that yeah, dance. It's oh it just like all of a sudden they're there and then <clears throat> they're, uh, it, and, all, and everything is kind of an echo of an earlier scene. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no narrative timing shifts like there are in Pulp Fiction, but there's almost no scenes in The Big Lebowski that don't almost explicitly recall earlier scenes like snippets of dialogue and stuff like that it's just i I, you know i know that it's like almost a religion this dudism or whatever and set that aside there is a kind of taoist oh uh, for sure you know zen even zen yeah like just lebowski just kind of goes with it's not that he doesn't ever whine about it or protest a little bit, but he's very good about just going with what where what life t- uh, brings him. In sharp contrast to Walter, who's always fighting against it and trying to shape the narrative himself. Uh, right. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's, we'll put a pin in that because that is the theme that I really want to get back to. Um, one of the big similarities for me is that both of these screenwriters, who are the directors, have a love of dialogue. Yeah. I think that one of the things that makes these movies so easily rewatchable is that you enjoy the words. Just the words are so good. And and the words, Tarantino is, there's nothing but but explicit effort in crafting the words, whereas the Coen brothers, I think they are as obsessive with language, if I recall. If but, not more, but yeah. they, but they do not, if not more like, but they do not come across like they were writing something to be quoted. And, and, and you know, and I wonder, so yeah. And I, I take this to be actually a strength of Lebowski in contrast to Pulp Fiction. Like some of the Tarantino stuff dialogue can seem annoying. So like, or that it doesn't age well, like the Royale with cheese. It, it, well, it's just so it, 
it's so it's I, it's hard for me to tease apart whether it is a feature of his dialogue that doesn't age well or it was just been imitated so often or quoted yeah. so you know yeah exactly um, and and whereas Lebowski I I I think there's just so many funny unbelievably funny exchanges but they're not as you know there's certain lines that people say that's just like your opinion man or um but it's it's not the same you know like there's just all these little things just lebowski trying to explain to other people what he doesn't know a lot of ins a lot of outs yeah like this i'm genuinely excited to, to talk in detail about both of these movies yeah so we're gonna pick some scenes that for us sort of capture yeah, I think that the, the, it's a, it, we decided that that as a way of discussing the themes, we might pick three scenes each and, and use that as a structure, mm-hmm. um, because I think that is a nice way of communicating like, the, the real themes and the differences and similarities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so for me, the this was easier to do for Pulp Fiction. I think that is more about scenes than the Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Not that they're not. I mean, I some of my favorite scenes of all time, but they're not that different in terms of well what we'll just get there's no point in meta discussion about (laughs) do you want to take a break yeah let's take a break and we'll be right back to talk scenes from pulp fiction today's episode of very bad wizards is brought to you by blinkist blinkist is a service and an app that essentially takes nonfiction books and condenses them into short, digestible chunks of information with the key takeaways that you can digest in 15 minutes, either by reading them on the app directly or by listening through the audio feature of their app. I love this service. I've been trying it out for the past couple of weeks. It allows me to use the time that I would normally have spent browsing social media or you know, wait time, downtime, even commute time listening to some of the best nonfiction books that are out there and and make some progress on these lists that I keep creating of books that I, I mean to read. Eight million people are currently using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library of nonfiction books from self-help to business to health to history and even psychology. One of the books that I've been reading uh, via Blinkist is a book that I've actually bought already and that I highly recommend, uh, The Confidence Game by Maria Konnikova a book where she discusses confidence artists, their scams, and the psychology that allows them to manipulate us for their gain. Another book I'm getting ready to peruse is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, basically because smart people seem to be reading that book and they tell me that I ought to read it. So if you're like me and you'd like to make some progress on your list of nonfiction books or even use it as a way of of prioritizing which books you want to get to reading in their full form, and you want to support our podcast while doing that, you can go to Blinkist.com slash VeryBadWizards to start a free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash VeryBadWizards to start a free seven-day trial and support Very Bad Wizards. We'd like to thank Blinkist for their support of Very Bad Wizards and thank you for giving them a shot. Again, that's Blinkist.com slash VeryBadWizards. The 50s, 
sit back in the drop top resort Bentley. Of course, Whitney. This chick can make Bobby divorce Whitney. Brazilian candy for Miami. Masseuse wedding ring on. Loving Celine Dion. Hate rap. Told me where she get kick at. She's a part-time dancer. Part-time romancer. Tries to be a mother when she gets a chance to. Left her husband alone to raise their son. He's a pampers. Model for a year. Got a bachelor's degree. 33 recovering from plastic surgery. Went from 34B to 36DD. Met her in San Diego at the Super Bowl party. Had the Henny shipped it up with Terrell Davis. MVP, we flicked it up for Sports Illustrated. I was silked out, Lawson was stout. He had the gators when she walked in. She lit up the room like Las Vegas. Terrell said, Our man's a fullback for the Raiders. A drunk who fucked jelly doesn't wind up in the papers. It's easy to get the pussy. Just don't fall in love. Next thing you know, I'm hooked up with the spitch in the tub. Palm Springs, Al Capone, sweet washing her feet. Is this love? Somebody's wife welcome back to very bad wizards uh this is the time in the program where we like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners uh, for all your support we really really appreciate it all the all the wonderful messages we can't get to all of them i feel increasingly guilty about not getting to all of them but you know the volume is a little high or hardly any <laughs> i but yeah but hardly any of them but but we really do read them all and actually some of them lately have been just super nice and and brought my mood up um, in unexpected ways. So really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, tweet to us uh, at verybadwizards, at Tamler or at Pease, or you can email us verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can join in on some great discussions on our subreddit, reddit slash r slash verybadwizards. Or on our Facebook page. Other ways you could follow our Instagram account. Um, all of those ways we really appreciate. We wouldn't be here were it not for our audience. I'm increasingly happy at the size. I didn't used to be. You guys, I was a little worried that people would get a little meaner over time because of our audience growing. But that just hasn't happened. And I really, really uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it seems almost impossible to have such nice Twitter interactions and such nice Reddit interactions and absolutely that those aren't those aren't sites that bring out the best in people in, in <laughs> general right. I don't think but uh, so if you want to support us in more tangible ways we'd really appreciate that and we always do appreciate it you can go to our very bad wizard support page if you just go to verybadwizards.com you'll see a link there to support uh, you can go to directly to our Patreon page. Um, and I should say now, uh, we are working on a couple of rewards. Um, I am about to release the fourth volume of my collection of beats. This one took me a while, but it's going to be longer than, than most others. I have uh, secured the services of my nephew, Monty Beats, who's a wonderful mixer, um, wonderful uh, mastering engineer. Um, and uh, some really, really cool artwork by an artist named Gabriel Vignes. I'll put a link to his to his work. It's, a, it's an amazing sculptor, and I think the cover is fucking awesome. So hopefully that, and then we're planning on recording something soon, right? Yeah. For our patrons. Yeah. What were we going to do it on? Uh, oh, uh, Deadwood, right? Yeah. I think we were yeah. going to do the Deadwood movie. Yeah, the Deadwood movie. We haven't seen that yet, right? No. I'm still rewatching with... Ah, it's so good. 
It's so yeah. freaking. It's just my favorite. Like I, I like I feel like now it's not even that close. It's just I love it. I love I love every second of it. I love every character of it. Like to me, The Big Lebowski <laughs> is the best comedy, and Deadwood is the best TV show, or at least my favorite. And I'm not sure I would say it's the best either in either case, but it is my f- clear favorite. It's amazing. I mean, there's something about the short, you know, the three season run also that just allows me to rewatch it every few years. And, and it's so just rewarding. Um, talk about a love of language. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which both so, these movies have, as you said, mm-hmm. and Deadwood certainly has. Uh, so you can tell we, uh, we have a love for this and we'll probably record something um, soon. Um, so thank you to all our patrons for supporting if you want to support us, you can also give us a one-time PayPal donation or actually a recurring PayPal donation. Again, the link is in our support page. We really appreciate both those things. Oh, and one last thing to add, a little shout out. I was recently in Bulgaria to do a, an event on meditation, psychedelics, and the self with uh, my colleague Josh, Josh Weisberg, former friend of the show. <laughs> my, re- my replacement. <laughs> yeah, he was your replacement. Actually, you were his replacement as co-host of this mm-hmm. show. Revenge. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and, and a neuroscientist uh, who's out of Philadelphia and now does kind of neuroscience and art, Greg Dunn. But anyway, uh, my brother flew out and we traveled for a bit in Bulgaria and I went to a little mountain town called Veliko Tarnovo. And we ran into this couple, Michael Powers and Nelly Arabova. Nelly Arabova is originally Bulgarian. Michael Powers is uh, American. And as we were talking, we, we said our names, and he, and he just recognized my name. And it turns out he's a big fan of the podcast. Look at that. Look at that international reach. I mean, Veliko Tarnovo, Bulgaria. They live in the States, to be fair, but uh, that was pretty cool. But the reason I want to give them a shout out is that the night before I met them, they got engaged. He proposed to her and it was totally took her by surprise and they seemed very happy and they were headed to celebrate uh, on the coast in the Black Sea. So Michael Powers, Nelly Arabova, Congratulations. Congratulations. I was also like, <laughs> I, I, I hadn't had coffee yet, and we were <laughs> looking for breakfast, and you can't find breakfast in this town for some reason, and so I don't think I was at my best. They took a picture. <laughs> t- I was just not, I was you know barely awake, so I apologize if I was a little dazed and out of it, and if the picture they took was not good. Anyway. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you all. Okay. So you want to go first with Pulp Fiction? Sure. Uh, so I'll say what I think Pulp Fiction is really about, especially in contrast to Big Lebowski. Both of them are championing the absurd in some way, but I think that the characters in Pulp Fiction are infusing everything with deep meaning. They really, really care about things. And so we alluded to this already, but the gold watch scene to me is prime example of something that's is, is trivial, but you end up really caring in the way that Bruce Willis cares. So the gold watch that, that was his father's and his grandfather's, that was a, a wonderful story about being hidden up his, his father's ass. Um, Christopher Walken's beautiful monologue. 
um, that was also, I remember when I saw it, it was jarring. Just when he says there is a history to that artifact, there is a reason that the character uh, thinks that it's so important. He, he, in fact, risks his life for it. Um, it's just a gold watch, but it, it matters so much to him. An otherwise neutral object that you might say, well, it's, it's just a watch, right? Um, this this is, is dripping with meaning. And we get it. We understand it based on, on, we understand why he's going back and risking his life. Yeah, and one of the, one of the scenes I really liked, um, even though I found his girlfriend or wife insufferable for the most part, <laughs> But just the worst, the worst part of politics. It really is. I would say a lot of the women are not. <laughs> like, it's not the best. Uh, the one with all the shit in her face. What? The one, the one with all the shit in her face. <laughs> I, I actually like uh, Rosanna Arquette's okay, although she's great. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that scene where he realizes that he forgot that that she forgot the watch, and he gets so violent about it, and he starts yeah. throwing the TV, and then he's like. He has like a moment of mindfulness almost like he just stops and he says, I didn't convey. I reminded you, but I didn't convey <laughs> the meaning of that watch to you. And I should have. And that's my fault. You're not a mind reader. Like it, not only do you have to are these things invested in meaning, but they're they need to be expressed the meaning. Right. For, and um, yeah, I, I would say that that one of the th one of the themes in Pulp Fiction is that the person's perspective means a lot. So th the fact that he's going berserk over the watch, even as he's describing it, he says, you know, it's on the kangaroo by the bedstand. You're like, well, that's absurd. It's just stupid. Yeah. But we've already seen that gold watch scene. We know what it means to him, but she has no idea why it would mean that much to him. And, and so this, the same object in, and in some cases, which we'll talk about another scene, the same situations mean very, very different things to the different characters. Yeah, and, because, um, and and the whole thing, the whole reason he had to go back and risk his life and almost get raped by those rednecks was that he didn't convey enough sufficiently <laughs> yeah. the meaning of that watch to his annoying girlfriend. Right. Um, okay, so that was your, your scene? I actually, yeah. this wasn't a scene, but I, I don't know, is the foot massage debate one of your scenes it is but not for the reason that we always talk about um you know we've we've talked uh, at least i have mentioned it countlessly as a great example of the pre the the sort of pre-commitment function of emotions and that like you don't do even the smallest slight to somebody who's who's willing to like right. throw you three stories down no but in this case i I was thinking it is more connected to what you just said about the yeah. meaning. Like, yeah, they are That's debating the meaning of a foot massage. And then, exactly. And it's actually a great case where they kind of come to something, they clarify their terms and they come yeah. to kind of an agreement about it. Yeah. 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 But absolutely, the fact that a, uh, a foot massage, Travolta is trying to convince him that a foot massage is, is, full of meaning yeah and samuel jackson is not buying it he's like i give a million people a million foot massages doesn't matter and the way he convinces them is just, would you give a guy a foot massage yeah and that effectively ends the debate because well no because it. it doesn't actually right like that's an earlier scene where they're walking through the hallway where he says would you give a guy a foot massage he says fuck you but then they continue it and he's like just because i wouldn't give no oh, man right. no foot massage doesn't <laughs> yeah. make it right so then it sort of transitions into a moral debate about right. uh whether that was an okay thing to do and that's right yeah 
Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it only, you know, I love that scene too when they're in the hallway because they approach the door. Now we know that it's early in the morning and, and we, you know, we've already mentioned that there's a party it, when you string together the events. So this is early in the morning. They get there and they're talking. And before they knock on the door, he says, oh no, we're still a couple minutes early. Yeah. And I'm like, what does it matter if you're there at 758 or at 801, <laughs> right. you know? But yeah. Like it matters. It really matters. There's some code um, to what they're doing. And it, yeah. No, that's yeah. right. And plus you get the sense that they need to like, they didn't leave it resolved, their debate yeah. about the meaning of a foot massage, the morality no, of right. what he did to Tony Rocky Horror. Um, well, actually that leads into my first scene. The whole Uma Thurman scene is my favorite favorite probably at least this time in the movie you mean the whole segment yeah like at jackrabbit slims into her apartment um Mm -hmm. so i'll i I won't just the first jackrabbit slims scene i'll do as my first one and then the second one will be in the uh, apartment but Mm -hmm. um it captures perfectly like this just kind of awesome date where it's sexually charged but also forbidden there's drugs involved and the drugs are are playing in like actually heightening all of that and making everything even cooler than it otherwise would seem if you uh if you weren't on drugs like there's this really cool moment i thought where it's so glamorous right uma thurman is shot most of the time as this kind of almost dream a woman like just exciting sexy you can't get any sexier than that and i'm not even like a huge uma thurman fan but just the way she is the way she walks to the bathroom to go do her lines of coke (laughs) and their conversations and all that but there's one shot when they're going to they're going up to get their table and she says she says like we have a, a table for two under wallace uh it's it's a car. We have a car. And and just the way it's shot, you get a glimpse of the reality. Like all of a sudden she just looks like some pale, sickly, drugged out uh girl. <laughs> he just looks like, What the fuck is going on? You know, like the glamour is car, it, he's getting lost. He's like, Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, that actually is also like that just captures the sort of drugged out <laughs> feeling of you don't know where you are exactly. This is this seems crazy. Like this can't be real almost. But just her kind of leaning forward, it, it gives a glimpse of this isn't all as cool as it otherwise huh. will seem. And 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 that whole sequence with the with Mrs. Wallace just alternates between the glamour and the excitement and the sexiness of all of it and a more sordid reality that you also get in kind of shocking ways but i just love that whole scene and i love also that in that scene they totally undercut the whole tony rocky horror thing like it was this big debate over like the morality (laughs) of it and it turns out like it almost certainly didn't happen right and right. that is I was also like taking a position I, I was like i'm on john travolta's side here you know <laughs> <Yeah>. it's like <laughs> yeah you know what you said i actually never thought of that i think because seeing the movie from day one i was sort of had a crush on uma thurman um who by the way her father is a buddhist scholar um mm-hmm. at columbia I, I was i once gave a talk at a buddhist conference there um with Walterson and Armstrong. And uh, I was like, Oh shit, this is the, this is the pops. Um, what you said, exactly what you said is evident 
when she comes downstairs from in the house, yeah, um, she's been talking to him through the intercom, and she said, and you know, she's already looking at this point super, I think, attractive yeah. for me. You know, she's cool. The house is cool. She has this fucking cool reel-to-reel tape player. You know, she has this this cool control center. She's doing drugs. She comes down and she says she's ready. And when she says that, there's just a shot of her feet. Yeah. And the feet are just dirty as fuck. Yeah. They are just soiled, like gross, like gross. And that, that is very consistent with what you said. Like, Hey, the underbelly of this is. Yeah. And also like the reality of this, you know, like I think a lot of time you're looking, we're looking at her through his eyes and we're looking at him through her eyes, which are very drug and, sexually charged influenced and then but every once in a while we just get a little sense of like how this actually looks if you're not them right Tarantino did a great job of of making you feel you know they're both on drugs but they're on opposite drugs yeah (laughs) he's on heroin she's on cocaine so he's just slowed down that scene when he's driving after he just shot up and he's driving to the restaurant. It just makes you want to try. I totally. Opiates. Yeah, right. I want to do just... heroin. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> like, do it by myself. I would definitely kill myself if I tried to figure it out. But, like, <laughs> I, if there was someone I totally trusted, I would right. do it. Yeah. If, a dog, if a doctor would shoot me up. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then and then she's just, you know, doing blow in, in the bathroom and in her house. And so she's all hyper. <laughs> she's Yeah. And, and so their conversation is kind of funny because of that. It, it, right. When he's walking around the Jackrabbit Slims trying to place the actors <laughs> like the, you know, the, the lookalikes. Um, and right. it's just so it reminded me a little bit of walking into the Chinese, you know, that place where we had the meetup in Vancouver. And when we first <laughs> walked up those stairs and I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. The animals are kicking in and. <laughs> for you but i was just as confused (laughs) um yeah no no totally so that's my first scene i just love that i love the way it captures the magic of that of that kind of date or just meeting a person and you're not supposed to be together and that makes it hotter and and a lot of it is just awesome like it's just you know it's like an amazing like you can't have better more exciting nights than that I mean, we, and we didn't even talk really about the dialogue, but it's really interesting dialogue. Like it's, you know, they're talking about, uh, about these social dynamics. Um, so the foot massage discussion would have been my second one. Um, okay. So the gold watch one and the foot massage. So I'll just go to my number three, which I think is, um, it's sort of obvious, but it's the, the, the central resolution of the theme, which is the discussion that they, uh, Marcel's, I'm sorry, Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield have in the cafe at the end of the movie. Yeah. That's my favorite scene too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So critically of importance is that when they went for the hit, as everybody knows, who's listening to this, um, the guy, Jerry Seinfeld looking motherfucker who pops out of the bathroom, (laughs) um, (laughs) with like a three fifty seven hand cannon and just shoots, I think unloads like six shots into the wall trying to shoot them um this this is an event that that ends up being interpreted very very differently yeah by travolta versus versus sam jackson and that event for jules winfield sam jackson is 
is you can't ignore the meaning behind what happened. Yeah. And this leads to a sort of redemption arc. You know, a lot of people think that Pulp Fiction is, is a movie about redemption, which I think kind of is. But that is what motivates Jules Winfield. He saw a different thing than Travolta saw. Travolta saw a coincidence. He saw, uh, Winfield saw an act of God. Yeah. Um, and so the same event is infused with a very, in one case, it's infused with meaning. In another case, it's just ignored as just part of life. God did not come down and stop the bullets for, for Vincent Vega, but he did for Jules Winfield. So he then says that he's going to just walk the earth like Cain. He's giving, he's giving up his life of crime. Have adventures. Um, He's adventures. <laughs> uh, just the way he's eating a muffin and having that discussion. And, and this should be obvious, but this is also like a reflection of their earlier disagreement about whether a foot massage meant anything. In that case, Vega thought it did, and he thought it, it didn't, although he came around. And in this case, it's the opposite where, no, this is, this is a really meaningful thing that this happens. Like, don't blow this shit off. And because it had meaning for Jules Winfield and not for Travolta for Vincent Vega, um, Vincent Vega dies. Right. right. Presumably Jules Winfield does not. Right. Because even though it was before in the movie, that scene is earlier in the movie, it is chronologically later. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. He, uh, he dies re as he lived reading <laughs> Madame Bovary on the pot. Is that what he was reading? <laughs> yes. Which, I've always wondered what <laughs> which by the way like it just occurred to me this time but Flaubert was famous you know the le mot juste like always searching for the perfect word like he was obsessed with just <laughs> really? like every word had to be perfect and you got to think that's Tarantino thinking I'm like that too with screenplays like the I have poured over uh these screen these screenplays and they have to be like this is the best this is the perfect way of conveying right. what i want to convey in this scene right you know right so also one of my favorite conversations in all the movie again is is a bit of analytic philosophy about <laughs> the, the consumption of swine and i think it's just one of my favorite arguments uh where travolta essentially i think wins the argument no man i don't eat pork are you jewish no, I ain't Jewish. I just don't dig on swine, that's all. Why not? Pigs are filthy animals. I don't eat filthy animals. Yeah, but bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. Hey, sewer rat may taste like pumpkin pie, but I'd never know because I wouldn't eat the filthy motherfuckers. Pigs sleep and root and shit. That's a filthy animal. I ain't eat nothing ain't got sense enough to disregard its own feces. How about a dog? Dog eats his own feces. I don't eat dog either. Yeah, but do you consider a dog to be a filthy animal? I wouldn't go so far as to call a dog filthy, but they're definitely dirty. But dogs got personality. Personality goes the wrong way. Uh, so by that rationale, if a pig had a better personality, he would cease to be a filthy animal. Is that true? Well, we have to be talking about one charming motherfucking pig. <laughs> I mean, he had to be ten times more charming than that armor on green anchors, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's um, a great little. That's something that's aged well, even though it was very famous, like more than the Royale with cheese stuff. Like, yeah. I love that scene. I will always love that scene. It's it's hilarious. It's but again, there's a lot of conceptual analysis. You know, like mm -hmm. what makes what are the necessary conditions for a filthy anim animal, and then <laughs> the counterexamples. And I mean, there, yeah. it is very funny. That is very much a part of their dynamic together. And and I think part of the theme of the movie is that me. Meaning, 
really matters here. It really matters to the, it, all these discussions are almost given cosmic importance, even though they're trivial and, and getting it right is important to these characters. The Royale with cheese discussion yeah. is like, well, no, they don't call it that because they couldn't, because they don't have that frame of reference. So, um, there's also this insistent by Bruce Willis's character to call it a chopper, not a motorcycle. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's, <laughs> and I think that's part of just the theme. Like it, these, these things matter. They might be trivial in the abstract or, or with distance, but not to these characters. In the diner scene. So one of the things I noted in light of our unsatisfying William James discussion is, <laughs> so they're debating the, now the meaning of what happened, the guy missing them with the, right the 357 and he says look like we didn't see the same thing you saw an act of god i saw like a freak accident and then jules says you're looking at this the wrong way whether or not it's a true like according to hoyle miracle doesn't matter uh what matters is i felt the touch of god and so he's saying actually like the right way to look at it isn't in this kind of i don't know bayesian way where you evaluate your priors (laughs) and figure out like what's the most likely uh, reason why the guy missed me it's that there was something that i felt lived lived experience lived experience exactly (laughs) it was a precursor to uh standpoint epistemology i guess standpoint epistemology right right no and 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 this is starting to divide travolta from from jackson where his even saying whether or not it's an according to Hoyle miracle where, yeah, according to Hoyle being about, I guess a rule book for how to play cards. People would appeal to the, to the strict rules to see whether or not you made a right move. Um, He's saying, no, I'm letting go of that concrete, that, that interpretation. You, you, you can have your debates about, about these things, but, but I know what's true. Yeah, for sure. And then the whole stuff with Honey Bunny and who's also fucking annoying, Amanda Plummer. Oh, she's terrible. Yeah, she's re- she's really bad. I feel bad for the women aside from Uma Thurman. Like I, f- I feel bad for the <laughs> women in this movie. They are not right. given. And and you know Tarantino, I think learned. I J- Jackie Brown's his next movie, and that's a great female character and um and a great movie, but. <laughs> You don't like Esmeralda Villalobos, I guess. <laughs> I did, didn't, and you know me with like <laughs> with Latinas. I'm a fan for the most part. But. Her accent is so fake, by the way. Her Spanish accent. <laughs> what so is it like? It's to annoying. Kill him. You know, it's just <laughs> to kill a man. stupid. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is anyway. So yeah. All right. So I'll do my last scene then. So it's when they come back to Uma Thurman's house. And Uma Thurman right now is clearly so fucked up and so just high and happy from winning the dance contest. We didn't even talk about the dance dancing, but that yeah. was pretty great. Yeah. And so she's just in this mode where we're going to party like, you know, and, and I think Travolta realizes and probably rightly, like, if I want to have sex with her right now, I can. And he goes to the bathroom yeah. and he has this great scene in the mirror where he's talking to himself <laughs> And trying to convince himself not to do that. So, like, at first he's just like, you know, this is 
you know, this is, you, you can't do this. You have to have one drink, one drink, go home. And then you see Uma Thurman again, and then it goes back to him. And now he's looking in another different mirror. He turns to the other mirror. Like, <laughs> this is a moral test of oneself, whether or not you can maintain loyalty. Because being loyal is very important. Like, it's a great, like, trying to convince himself. And it is, like, all of these characters have a, co- have a code that they try to live by. And, yeah. you know, honor is definitely runs through all the different narratives of this movie and sticking to Well, the- I mean, talk about, like, the, the, um, the keying of the car. Yeah, like, exactly. That is just the ultimate fucked up bitch move, right. like, to disrespect some. That, that kind of disrespect, it would almost be worth it. That he did it yeah. for me to have caught him. It's like stealing a horse, you know, in, yeah. in in Westerns. Like, it's just the worst possible thing you can do. It's obviously you just get executed right away. Like, you get hung or whatever, or shot. And, it, and of course, like, even Jules, having quit his life of, of crime, it still has to give the briefcase to Marcellus. Yeah. It's his briefcase. That's right. Right? So that's, that's right. why he gets involved in that showdown, even though he doesn't want his money. Uh, and that's why he gets involved in the showdown with Tim Roth. Uh, but yeah, I love that mirror scene. I love that it, you know, this is a moral dilemma for him and he's had this yeah. awesome time. And one of the things that can happen at the end of these nights is like great, just awesome sex, just exciting, <laughs> new forbidden sex. And then like he chooses not to do it. Um, it turns out he couldn't have anyway, but yeah, yeah he, but he's resolved yeah. by the end. You know, he comes out, he's saying, I'm going to go home now. He's not right. even having the drink. Like, cause yeah. he knows yeah. he's read John Doris. <laughs> <laughs> he knows if he has one more drink, you never know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's great. No, I mean, it's um, interesting. Both of these movies are, have this virtue ethics versus like deontological, principal thing running through it and you know walter is the ultimate deontologist he's all about the rules and i don't think so i don't think so but but we can talk about that yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'd be interested to see he definitely has rules and he's very (laughs) obsessed with rules and following rules and the principles and yeah i mean he bends the rules to conform to but yeah and this for this movie it is Sometimes about deontological or act-based kinds of dilemmas, like do you throw Tony Rocky Horror off the roof after he gave a foot massage? Is that a proportionate response? Right. And then sometimes it's about character, like loyalty. Right. And, uh, right. 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 Yeah. And and Marcellus Wallace, if he did throw Rock, Tony Rocky Horror, it was in service of his reputation and his character yeah. as somebody who who follows through. <laughs> well, I mean, right. I think the debate, though, was over, like, you don't fuck with a man's wife. Like, you just don't, no matter who it is, you don't, like, you don't That's right. That's why that, that's what I'm saying the proportionality yeah. isn't, wouldn't be important to Marcellus Wallace. It would be communicating that this is, yeah. this, I mean, you could call that, I guess, a, a, a rule, but I, it seems more like a character, like a... It's, I didn't see it that way, that he would have done it for his reputation, to jack up his reputation. I saw it more as that was either proportional or not. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I don't, think, I, I don't think that he did it purposefully as a way to, to uh, save his reputation. I think this is the character of Marcellus Wallace, which is exa- you know, exactly what's communicated with that sort of thing. That is... That is who he is. You don't fuck with him or anything right. that he does because 
you never know. And yet, but. you don't get the sense that he threw him off the roof because of the foot massage. No, that's like, right. Mia that's is right. pretty clear on that, that that's not something he would do. Uh, I love when he hands down the decision at the end to Bruce Willis. He's like, what about, what What now? And he says, what now? And then he goes through the whole thing. But he says, no, no, I meant about you and me, what now? He's like, oh, what? That what now? You have all your L.A. privileges revoked. Yeah. There is no you and me. <laughs> there is no you and me. Yeah. Like, it would be great to just be able to revoke someone's whole city wide. <laughs> there was so much betrayal there. Um, yeah. But he did come, like, it was redemption. Again, if this is yeah. about redemption, he redeemed himself to Marcellus's That's satisfaction. Right. That's and right. That, he, that decision was the true the true character yeah. of Bruce Willis. Yeah. So one of the so it's interesting that neither of us talked about the Winston Wolf scene almost at all, and I think it is one of the scenes that I might have enjoyed the most when I first saw it, and have subsequently enjoyed it less. Not, I still it's still fun, you know, it's still yeah. a fun scene, but it's it loses a little bit. Uh, on the rewatch, whereas it was just so fun to see Harvey Keitel do that. It was just so funny. The idea of it, the placement of it in the movie is per- is perfect. Like you right, know. the character, you know, you almost want to see a day in the life of the wolf. Like, yeah. what does this guy do? He gets paid a lot of money to like tell these guys to like clean up their car. Um, but he's 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 a fascinating character, and yeah, I think it's an enter. I'm entertained by the scene, although I'm you know Quentin Tarantino's annoying. Um, he's I don't know why he insists on putting himself in, <laughs> in yeah. his own movies and like uh, pissing off Spike Lee. Yeah, yeah, using that word. Um, it's interesting. I I don't like what Travolta's character becomes in that. He's yeah, kind of little whiny bitch, you know. Um, and so it doesn't seem to me like, you know, but he's, but, but he feels disrespected by the wolf and the yeah. wolf in order to get it done. He's like, fine, pretty pleased with the chair on top. I'll respect you. Go fucking yeah. finish your job. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's another way that honor is such a theme in this is everybody is trying to sh- demonstrate respect when it's appropriate. And even Vincent, who you're right, is being kind of a brat in those scenes um, because he feels disrespected because he doesn't like people barking orders at him. He still like prefaces his complaint with, I respect you. Like, I don't mean any disrespect. Right. Everybody. And, and, and when Jules is pissed off at him, he's like, look, I respect you. I'm not saying you can't do it. That's right. Don't put me in this situation. (laughs) So it's like, everybody has to like demonstrate that this isn't a sign of disrespect. Because if you don't, then the whole thing explodes. You know? That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, good. We, we managed to fit that conversation in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, poor what's-his-face who gets shot, Marvin gets shot in the car, and and it's unexpected. <laughs> you know, it's, it's demarcated by this very unexpected uh, shooting, accidental shooting, and there's a problem that you get. It's, it's close to a real plot. Like, I mean, they'll go watch as a plot too, but this this is a story that you're wrapped up in. No. And it's funny because it interrupts that whole scene interrupts the theological debate. Uh, (laughs) you know, like even as he's shooting him by accident, he's saying like, I mean, you really think this was divine intervention, Marvin? Marvin's like, I don't even have an opinion. Right. The juxtaposition, I don't know if I've thought of it that way, but the juxtaposition of 
hey, God is involved in, in our lives. He stopped the bullet. And then yeah. you have a senseless accidental killing. To me, that's yeah. just, you know, point scored on, on Vincent, Vincent Vega's <laughs> argument yeah. where it's like, no, man, this shit just happens. It's just yeah. random. It was an accident that you didn't get hit. It was an accident that poor Marvin uh, got it. And then as soon as that situation is resolved, they go back to the theological. Yeah. Thing, like in the diner. Like that's <laughs> they hadn't just killed a motherfucker randomly. <laughs> the one thing that Tarantino using the N word in that way, we've talked about this before, so we don't have to dwell on it, but him, them showing that little clip of the wife coming home. And <laughs> yeah. She's black. It's kind of a it's a, it's kind of a cop out because it's just not in the style of the rest of the movie. There's no yeah. other part of the movie that just has this quick like hypothetical counterfactual like flashback. You know, like it's just, <laughs> he's like, uh, well, I really want to say the N word. So what can I do exactly. in the world of Pulp Fiction to just? <laughs> I'd love to know if that was in the original script or if like he was convinced to do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This whole movie is very in your face and it's Quentin Tarantino yelling at you. Look at my good movie, yeah. which I don't mind, but he's very, and it's super different stylistically in that sense from, from, you know, I would not have known that the big Lebowski was a good movie. The first time I watched it. In fact, that prevented yeah. me from watching it repeatedly because I was like, yeah, it was okay. Like nothing happened, but it was okay. Yeah, no, you have to get kind of, I was the same way. I think, like the majority of people who've seen the Big Lebowski and who love it have that experience with it, yeah. and 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 nobody has that experience with Pulp Fiction. No, My guess yeah. is, if you didn't like Pulp Fiction the first time, you probably didn't <laughs> exactly. like it in subsequent times. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, this is that's definitely one of the things that separates it. Um, you want to just talk more generally? I mean, I don't have any big things. I, I've said what I think the weaknesses are. I think. Yeah, I I think this movie has some bad scenes. The scene where Maria Bruce Willis's wife girlfriend is is and she's talking about her pot and no, the whole yeah, scene is it's just terrible. it's really really bad. Yeah, and I don't yeah. like the the cab driver scene. Although I probably was fine with it. Yeah, the, the cab, first time the cab driver scene felt to me a little bit like homage to some of these earlier noirs because you know he's in the car and he has like the the projection screen in the back and, yeah. and it's, it feels like he's trying to do like, you know, again, uh, you know, you wonder, well, what's Esmeralda Villalobos's character all about? Like, who is this yeah. woman, right? Driving a cab randomly. Um, I, and she doesn't annoy me nearly as much as the French, the French woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also honey, Amanda Plummer. Yeah. Oh, honey bunch. just poor. Yeah. Aside yeah. from Uma Thurman, this is all about the men. And even in the movie, Uma Thurman segment. It's really. It's also it's the 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 narrative, the big moral decision, the character building moment is Travolta's. Yeah, Every, like the next stretch of movies for Tarantino all have strong central central characters as women. Right, right. there's Jackie Brown, Uma. the Kill Bills, and and Inglorious Bastards. Right? right, and then even the. Uh, the one that he did with Robert Rodriguez, you know, the yeah. central characters in both of those segments right. were all women. Right. And it's like, he's like redemption for his first two movies, which yeah. just didn't have women. Yeah. Essentially. And I mean, in the context of his work, all of his works, I, I'm, I tend to forgive him for that. Like, you know, there are movies that are going to have male leads and, and sometimes it's about that. 
given what you say about all the other things that he's done with the women characters in his other movies, I'm like, eh, this is just a mob, you know, some sort of mobster template movie where women just weren't characters. Yeah, totally. No, and I actually think Tarantino, given how how male directors tend not to feature strong women at the very center of their stories, like Tarantino's done it more than almost anybody. Wow. Okay. Look, we're well over an hour here, and we haven't talked about the Big Lebowski at all. I think you want to make this a two-parter. I think that's what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a good idea. And then we can talk about Big Lebowski in the next episode and settle which of these two definitively is the better movie. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll come to an agreement there. All right. Uh, see you next time on Very Bad Wizard. Just a very bad wizard.